Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Well, it's Thanksgiving. Lots of turkey, plenty of football. What NFL players need and deserve. Today on the show, our government affairs director for the AFL-CIO, and we check in with the San Joaquin building trades. Welcome to the Thursday, November 24th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pandora and stitcher well it is thanksgiving and bill samuel government affairs director of the afl cio will be joining us aflcio.org and he is going to talk about what happened with the midterms big surprises there we'll talk about the new congress we'll talk about the lame duck congress and what may or may not happen i'll tell you one thing that a lot of people have their eyes on right now is the national labor relations board And recently, there was an article, and I picked up on this just the other day, where a couple of members, including Jennifer Abruzzo, who's the general counsel, sent a letter to Congress saying, if we don't get funding and get that funding right away, we're going to have to lay off some workers. Now, Now, keep in mind what's going on in America right now. There's a whole lot of organizing going on. It's it's probably a 40 or 50 year high with organizing. So the NLRB is working day and night to help those organizers, and they're not getting the funding. Now, if this goes into next year, we're going to have some trouble because the Republicans will be in charge of the House. And you know what? They do not like the National Labor Relations Board. So we'll touch on that. We'll talk about trade adjustment assistance. We'll see if that can be renewed. That ran out at the end of June. And we'll take a look at the possible agenda of the new Congress. Um, There was a story that was posted about a week ago from a union-busting law firm. And uh, they reached out to conservative members in the House, and they said, here's what should be and could be done in the halls of Congress, specifically in the House. Now, Bill Samuel is of the opinion that a lot of that legislation – like uh, recertifying unions if uh, membership goes below 50%, would probably die in the Senate. But nonetheless, it's probably going to happen. What about the PRO Act? Is that dead? Most likely, that's the protect the right to organize. But again, some bright spots. We'll definitely focus on a couple of states that uh, we saw some uh, Democratic victories. One of them is Michigan. You can throw in... um, Let's see, Arizona as well as Pennsylvania on that. So uh, Bill's going to be our first guest. Later in the show, we're going to be checking in with the San Joaquin building trades, and we're going to be talking to Michael Mark, who is the financial secretary treasurer of the San Joaquin building trades. Website, real simple, sjbuildingtrades.org. little background on Michael. He started his union career 20 years ago within the building trades as a union sheet metal worker with local 162 and then 104. In 04, he officially started his apprenticeship, gained journeyman status in 2008. And then in 2012, he was elected as an e-board officer and trustee. 
2016, Michael was appointed as a full-time sheet metal local 104 business development representative. Currently, since uh, 2018, he has been elected as a sheet metal business rep covering San Joaquin County. He says being involved in the union movement requires wearing multiple hats. As such, he's been active with the building trade since uh, 2016, elected president in 18, then elected financial secretary treasurer, and that's a position he has now, and that happened in uh, 2020. We'll talk about the, the workload, and that's pretty much uh, in the, uh, the Bay Area, and uh, he says it's pretty much a purple county, and they work with uh, both parties to get things done. And uh, we're also going to talk about a, a high school career fair that had 950 students attending. That's pretty significant. And as you know, there's a lot of work in all the trades. And when you get a career fair that has that many students, I guess you're doing the right thing. So they're doing the right thing in San Joaquin Valley. And uh, Michael Mark will be talking about that and more as our second guest on the show today. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, this is a big day for football. It's Thanksgiving, turkey on the platter, football on TV. The AFL-CIO sent an email the other day, and I want to call your attention to it. It's, uh, it's about safer fields and safer working conditions. That's what NFL players need. It reads as follows, all employees are entitled to the safest working environment possible, and that includes NFL players. NFL Players Association members should not have to work on fields that cause a higher rate of injury. So if you stand in solidarity with our union brothers, please take 30 seconds to add your name and urge the NFL to replace slit film surfaces, okay? Slit film surfaces just as there are different types of grass there are different types of turf slit film and dual fiber and monofilament i'm learning a lot here well the slit film playing surface has statistically higher in-game injury rates compared to all other surfaces so the NFL and its experts have agreed with the data and acknowledged that slit film fields are less safe. There are currently seven teams that use slit film in their stadiums. That includes the New York Giants, the New York Jets, the Detroit Lions, who are playing today, Minnesota Vikings, New Orleans Saints, Indianapolis Colts, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, the NFL has refused to ban and remove these fields and will not commit to making any future change. And as a result, the AFL-CIO is taking it upon themselves to get everybody activated and push for safer fields, safer working conditions. In fact, they have a Twitter handle here. It's uh, at Safer Fields, what NFL players need. A total of 48,000 academic workers, all members of the UAW, remain on strike today against the University of California system as their massive collective action begins its second week. Now, this is the largest academic worker strike in U.S. history, bringing together researchers, postdocs, graders, tutors, and others. Their strike has been sanctioned 
by the California Labor Federation and all of the relevant central labor councils in the state. Now, the talks began more than a year ago, and the union, well, they've remained focused on the burden of the increasing housing costs for academic workers and the insufficiency of their pay. We have a video here I want to play for you briefly, and uh, they sent this out on Twitter. Let's listen to what uh, some of the people are saying about that strike against the University of California. We are all here for different reasons, from different backgrounds and circumstances, and we all have very different needs. But one thing that unites us all, maybe most of all, is that those needs are not being met by this institution. So today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, however long it takes, you will find us right here, fighting for what we deserve, for what we earned. Now, you can help them out. Again, those are the striking workers at the University of California system, and they're all members of the United Auto Workers. You can check out fairucnow.org forward slash support for ways that you can help. Again, fairucnow.org forward slash support for ways that you can help. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Check them out online at oft-aft.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers, and we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number one. Even though it's Thanksgiving, he's there for us. That's Bill Samuel, 
government affairs director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. Busy man during the election, looking at a lame duck Congress and looking to next year. Mr. Samuel, how are we doing on this Thanksgiving holiday, brother? Well, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we're doing much better than we thought we'd be doing. Um, you know, leading into Election Day, things were looking bleak. Uh, of course, there's no point in dwelling on polls because there's been lots of <laughs> criticism and Monday morning quarterbacking about the polls. But, it, you know, things could have turned out much worse. Uh, the Senate, we actually picked up a seat. That hasn't happened in a midterm in a long time. Uh, hopefully, you know, the Georgia race on December 6th will give us a, a, a clean majority. We won't depend on the uh, vice president to be there to break mm-hmm. the tie. And the House, you know, was a narrow loss, uh, maybe four seats, five seats. I think they're still counting some. Um, which means, you know, the, the right wing and the Republican caucus, the extremists, uh, are going to make Kevin McCarthy's life a living hell, <laughs> which, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah. Um, but, but it, you know, it's not great for the country because, you need you know, to pass bills, you need to get them out of both the House and the Senate, and they need to go to the White House and get signed. And now it's going to be very hard to get the House and Senate to agree on anything. Um, but that also means that they can't make things much worse. You know, if they'd won the Senate and the House, that then you'd have real confrontations with President Biden, and he might, you know, he might have lost some of those. But right, we'll see. I mean, I think the lame duck. We still, you know, Democrats are still in control until January third. So we've got some things we're trying to get done in the month of December. There'll be Congress will be meeting for three, possibly uh, three and a half weeks, and uh, we we can get some things, some good things done then. Well, let's talk about getting good things done, because obviously the voters want good things done. I mean, take a look at Biden here. First two years, the policy that came out of Washington, very pro-worker policy. I I think that played a difference in the election. There's no doubt about that. But uh, what can be done here? What do you see happening in lame duck, Bill? Well, one of the main things we're working on, uh, you know, it will seem like a small thing to some people, but... The National Labor Relations National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, which you know um, provides protections for workers uh, who are trying to organize and bargain. It's the only enforcement agency that workers have uh, uh, under our labor laws. Um, they've been starved by Republicans for nine years, so they haven't had a budget increase. Uh, they're looking at furloughs this year. Uh, it's it's really it's they're in a a crisis situation, and we've got a you know record numbers of unfair labor practices and union election petitions filed. You know when we have talked about what's going on around the country, workers are fired up, they're organizing, companies are fighting back. So we really need a strong National Labor Relations Board. In any case, we're trying to get a big budget increase for the NLRB before Congress adjourns. Um, again, you know it, it, it may seem like a small thing. We're talking about you know thirty, forty million dollars. You know, million with an M. People hardly ever talk about, uh, you know, um, that that dollar signs that small. But it's important to the board. It's a small agency. Yeah. Um, so, so that's that's one of our main priorities. And then we've got to get some nominees across the finish line. Fortunately, with the Senate remaining in Democratic control, we can do some of that next year. Fill some judicial vacancies and other uh, positions. We want to reauthorize the Trade Adjustment Assistance Program, which expired in June. And there are lots of workers waiting to get benefits and services who've been laid off due to unfair trade. So we need to get that done. 
Um, those are the main uh, things, those three things. Um, and we may be looking at uh, legislation around a rail, a disruption in uh, rail service if there's a, uh, there's a potential for a strike um, next week. So we'll have to see um, whether Congress is going to act on that, and we'll want to be, you know, have our input taken as well. Yeah, we just uh, talked about that on the show a couple of days ago. And uh, right now, we hope we can get something done this year because if it goes into next year, we've got uh, people in the House that are not friends of labor and that they might impose a contract that they that they don't want. I, I, I hate to see that happen. Let's go back a little bit. You mentioned the NLRB, and I, I want to delve into that a little bit more because uh, last week, the uh, chair of the board, Lauren McFerrin, and the general counsel, Jennifer Abruzzo, said in a letter to the House and Senate Appropriations Subcommittees that uh, they will probably have to furlough, to your point, if they don't get more funding. Uh, Bill, what will that mean? I mean, we don't have a count on that right now, and, and I'm kind of nervous because if this goes into next year, they're, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in big trouble. What, what's your take well, on are. this? Yeah, this this is potentially very serious. Um, I don't know how big the furlough would be either. As I said, it's a small agency. I think they've got, I don't know, 1,500, 1,700 employees, something like that. Um, small small agency, a relatively small budget. But as I said, the Republicans have starved it for uh, most of the time they've been in charge, about, about the last nine years. Um, by the way, other agencies um, have gotten steady increases, at least to keep pace with inflation. You know, pay raises, increases in rent. You know, that kind of thing. But the but the NLRB hasn't very intentionally. Republicans do not want to fund uh, the National Labor Relations Board. So the furloughs would be serious. And the impact would be, as you would expect, um, you know, the, the uh, decisions uh, around unfair labor practices will take longer, much mm-hmm. longer if you don't have the personnel to handle them. People who've been fired uh, will wait longer to get justice, to get reinstated, if that's the um, the the uh, the route their case you know would take um, elections will be will be uh, take longer to schedule and oversee the board does oversee NLRB elections so everything slows down um, and you know the expression justice delayed is justice denied and in the case of workers it's really serious because you know they're taking a great risk when they organize we know that um, and the last thing we want to do is is compound that risk by making them. Uh, making them wait, possibly without a paycheck. So mm-hmm. this is pretty. We think this is pretty serious. It is serious. What about OSHA? I mean, OSHA is obviously worker friendly. Deals with worker yeah. safety. How, how's that being funded right now? Well, you know, it's interesting. As I mentioned, the other worker protection agencies have gotten at least inflation adjustments from Congress um, for the most part. Wage and Hour Administration, OSHA, MSHA. Uh, those agencies tend to, uh, you know, they when Republicans are in charge, they don't give them, you know, enough uh, t- t- uh, as far as, you know, we, we're concerned. But um, but they don't starve them to the point where they have to lay people off uh, and are unable to um, perform the basic duties they're assigned. NLRB is in a separate category as far as Republicans are concerned. Okay, you mentioned trade adjustment assistance. We've talked about this with you in the past couple of months. And again, this is a program that's been around since the mid-70s. All of a sudden came to a screeching halt when it comes to funding. The funding ran out, I believe, at the end of June. Um, any hope here on that one? I mean, that that's helped an 
awful lot of workers here, especially, you know, when their jobs disappear due to crazy trade deals. What, what's the latest uh, on that, Bill? Yeah, I think there's some hope. Part of this depends on whether there's any chance that the Republicans and Democrats, before they switch control, can agree on a, you know, sort of a year-end package, you know, of tax uh, or other um, changes that aren't really controversial. So they would have to kind of put their differences aside, not kick it into next year and agree on a package um, before the end of uh, December. TAA should be in a package like that. It used to be Uh considered bipartisan. You know, Republicans from uh, the Midwest and industrial manufacturing states would support TAA. It's job training. and something political about it. Um, But they're less inclined to support programs like that now. Um, and they will be. It'll be very hard to do next year when the Republicans are, are in control of the House. I fear. So we're, we're, we really want to get it done this year. And we've we've talked to the leadership on both sides, and they're they would like to get it done too. But they do need bipartisan agreement um, to get it done at the end of the year. And we'll we'll just keep we'll keep uh, plugging away, and ho- hopefully we succeed. Bill, I have to ask you, how long have you been working the Hill? I mean, you're government affairs director for the AFL-CIO. We're talking 12-plus uh, million people and uh, and in 58 unions right now. Uh, so you got a lot of experience there, and things have really, really changed politically in this country. Uh, I'm just wondering— well, first of all, how many years? How many years on the Hill there for you, Bill? Okay, I'm not going to give away my age, but it's close to 40. Okay, okay, okay. Long time, long time. Uh, I'm just wondering, if the policy is put forward by a Democrat and the Republicans are in control, does that policy go anywhere today? I mean, there used to be a time in America where they'd be able to work things out bipartisan. We did get bipartisan help on the infrastructure bill. How that happened is beyond me. But, uh, but, when, but when a Democrat introduces something or is behind something, do they kind of like scratch it off the list now because they don't want a Democrat involved? Well, they, they definitely have a higher hill to climb if, it's, if, it's, if it comes from the Democrats. You know, a lot of Democrats, when they want to introduce a bill that they think should be bipartisan, they don't even introduce it until they get a Republican to introduce it with them. So they'll, they'll have a you know, bipartisan bill introduction and try to keep it that way. Um, and there are, as you said, infrastructure. It took a while to get Republicans on board, but we did the, the so-called Chips and Science Act, which is going to revitalize the manufacturing the sem- semiconductor industry, including in Ohio. That was bipartisan uh, at the end of the day. Other things were not, you know, the COVID relief bills, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, not a single Republican voted for it. Um, so there are, there are fewer bipartisan bills than there used to be. And when I started, or really well into my career, um, you had a lot of very conservative Democrats from the South and some pretty pro-labor Republicans in the North and, and Midwest. And so bills tended to be more bipartisan than they are now. You know, there aren't many Democrats in the South at all, liberal or conservative, and there aren't many um, Republicans in, you know, well, although after this last election, there's a hand, there's a few more, you know, in places like New York. Um, but they, you know, we, you just don't see a lot of uh, members crossing the aisle on, on issues. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director for the AFL-CIO, joining us on the Thanksgiving edition of America's Workforce. We'll continue the conversation. There's a law firm called Littler Mendelssohn, which is a union-busting law firm. And they're working with the House majority already 
on a couple of pieces of legislation that I I am safe to say not very good. They're not worker friendly. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Michael Mark will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the San Joaquin Building Trades, where he serves as financial secretary treasurer. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis. And give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Mr. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. Bill, you saw the piece that I sent you from this uh, union-busting law firm, and I'll tell you, they they are really active in a number of cases right now. I believe uh, Amazon might be hiring them, Starbucks as well. Well, they published an article recently kind of uh, predicting what's going to happen in the House. And this is a quote from the article. They'll make labor, employment, and workforce development policy issues a key focus of its domestic policy agenda and highlights several of the Republicans' pro-employer legislative priorities, including the Employee Rights Act, 
which is, I guess, counter to the PRO Act that, uh, well, it was passed in the House, didn't get anywhere in the Senate. So, Bill, you took a look at this. Uh, You've been through all kind of times with uh, Congress changing over the years. How do you feel? How do you feel about uh, working with this uh, with this House of Representatives coming up? <laughs> well, you know, the Republicans were in charge until uh, I guess it was 2018. Uh, and they were they were they had the majority for for uh, like, I guess, since 2010. So it's about eight years when the Republicans had the House. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm pretty uh-huh. used to it. Um, now they'll be in control again. But but, you know, as we as we said, the Senate will still be uh, under Democratic control. So it's going to be very difficult for the Republicans to get bills passed and sent to the White House. First of all, the president wouldn't sign an anti-labor bill. He's been very clear about that. Uh, And the Senate wouldn't take it up. So they may waste a lot of time in the House passing bills, or they may not. You never know. I think the bigger threat is that they will spend a lot of time uh, using oversight and investigations authority that they have at at the various committees to go after the Democrat, you know, Democratic Department of Labor, probably the National Labor Relations Board. They'll probably haul them up uh, and other domestic agencies, you know, in addition to Hunter Biden. We've all read about the the fact that they want to focus a lot of energy on Hunter Biden. They're also going to focus a lot of time and energy on on the Biden administration. Um, It's a a big waste of time when we have serious things to get done, but it does does in some ways tie up the agencies. Um, So, you know, a lot of good bills were passed in the first two years. Now they have to be implemented. We talked about infrastructure and the, the, the semiconductor bill and the Inflation Reduction Act. The agencies have to be busy working on implementation. And if the Republicans in the House haul them up every other week with oversight requests uh, and uh, you know uh, hearings, um, that's going to slow them down. So that's the biggest threat right now. I don't think the threat that that article suggest that the Republicans are going to start passing anti-labor bills. They're not going to make it all the way through the um, yeah. and, and become law. I just don't think that's, that's really likely. I just got to educate our listeners on this Employee Rights Act, which sounds so good. It sounds so good. But it would provide additional protections for secret ballot, ballot elections, mandate union recertification elections where membership dips below 50%, and require workers to authorize union political spending. And let's see, there's the Ensuring Workers Get Paid Act, which would enable employers to self-report minimum wage and overtime violations as an alternative to litigation. Um, it cer- certainly looks like the PRO Act is, is going to be dead. That'll never pass in the, uh, in the House, would it, at this, uh, with, with the makeup of, of the House going into 2023? I think that's very unlikely. I think for the next two years, we're going to be applying a certain amount of defense. But as I said, you know, the, the, a lot of good legislation passed in the last two years that needs to be implemented. We're talking, you know, hundreds of billions of, do- uh, billions of dollars in investments in jobs um, in union jobs. So we're going to be tracking that very closely, making sure that gets rolled out properly. And um, so we, you know, we'll be busy, I think, um, making progress. It just won't be legislative for the most part. Uh, I think that's, you know, I think that's going to be tough. Now, you never know. Some things could slip through one way or another. But, uh, you know, President Biden has been pretty clear about his um, agenda. Uh, and his support for, for unions and working 
folk, you know, working people. So I don't, I don't see a lot of damage being done other than mm-hmm. just, you know, things will slow down. That's, that's yeah. really the biggest yeah. concern. Well, you certainly got your work cut out for you, and I, I know you're up to the task. And, and again, going back to uh, what happened at the midterm elections, Boy, I tell you, there was a lot of people fooled on that one. And I have yeah. to ask you, what happened to the pollsters here? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that, you know, polling, I think there's probably more guesswork involved than, <laughs> than the rest of us think. I'm not a pollster, but my guess, my assumption is they guess a lot about turnout. Who's going to turn out? Uh-huh. You know, and, and of course, they have to make estimates based on that. And then they extrapolate based on the, you know, the, 600 people they talk to to try to get a, you know, an estimate of how, you know, hundreds of thousands of people will vote in a congressional district. And it's just really difficult to get an accurate read on that. By the way, I think fewer people answer their phones. You know, the the pollsters, I think, probably have a more difficult time getting a representative sample. Um, And I think the final thing is things change um, you know, uh, basically right up to election day. A lot of people don't pay attention to politics the way you do, and you, you yeah. and I do. So right. we may make up our mind, you know, a month in advance. A lot of people may make it up day of or a couple of days before. Depends what's in the paper. You know, did Donald Trump say something outrageous that they either like or don't like? That may affect them. So I just think polling is, I think we definitely pay way too much attention to polling. And that's, was, as you said, that was proven because they were wrong in almost every case this year. Well, it's been often said that the states are incubators for uh, politicians that may end up in the White House. And, you know, we're looking at a couple of bright spots here. I mean, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Have, have Did you take a look at what happened in Michigan at the midterms? Well, that's, I mean, this is the first time I believe in 40 years that Democrats control the House, the Senate, the State House, the State Senate, and the Governor's Mansion. And by the way, that that may mean they can uh, repeal right to work, which passed about, I don't know, 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, when Republicans were in charge. So, yeah, Michigan was a standout uh, success for, for, for the labor movement and, uh, and our supporters. Yeah, there were uh, there were some good things that happened there, and um, you know maybe we'll see some changes down the road. A couple of minutes left here. I, I know you worked uh, hand in hand with Nancy Pelosi, and uh, she obviously is stepping down after the end of this year. Um, any thoughts on on working with her and what she was able to accomplish? And and and, and I bring this up because she. She was the target. She was the target of conservatives. And, uh, I mean, look what happened, too, with her husband and all that. With everything being said, um, any uh, any parting comments here on, on Nancy Pelosi and her leadership skills? Yeah, well, there's, uh, there's never going to be another speaker like Nancy Pelosi. Uh, the first woman speaker, hard as nails, uh, focused, more energy than anybody half her age that I've seen. Uh, right up till today, you know, she's in her uh, young 80s. I mean, I think she's 82, maybe. She flies back and forth across the country. Uh, she's in every congressional district. She outworks her staff. She, by the way, in all the meetings I was in, she always knew more than anybody else in the room. So she's a quick, quick study, incredible memory. Uh, but the best thing about her is she is completely devoted uh, to the cause of working people, you know. She every that's the lens she looked through everything at, and you know she could school other Democrats. I think she probably on occasion schooled Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and uh, uh, and, and even Joe Biden. And uh, you know she and Rich Trumka had a very personal 
a very close relationship. Uh, she, uh, she's developed a close relationship with our, our new president, Liz Schuler, and a bunch of union leaders know her and can call her, and she calls them. Um, but I think the, the key here is that she was able to control, and I use that in a, as a positive, her caucus. You know, she only had a five-seat majority of Democrats in the last two years. Mm-hmm. I don't think she lost a vote. I think every time she needed the Democrats to line up, they did. And it's a pretty diverse caucus. You know, you've got you've got a pretty wide spectrum of uh, of Democrats. I think that, and in contrast, you're going to watch Kevin McCarthy, I think, fall flat on his face. He now has a very small margin on his side, and he's going to have to get 218 Republicans to vote for some things. And, you know, you can imagine trying to wrangle Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs. These are all really extreme right-wing Republicans who are not going to listen to Kevin McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi didn't have that problem. They all respected her. No, they didn't want him there as House Speaker, no doubt. That's right. All right, Mr. Samuel, always interesting talking to you. You bring so much knowledge to the table here. So I'm going to let you get back to your uh, holiday here. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. And when we talk next month, we'll have better clarity on this uh, lame duck session. Okay, brother? That's right. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Michael Mark will be joining us from the San Joaquin Building Trades. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The heat and frost insulators and allied workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment. 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Now, Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to the West Coast right now. Joining us on our live line is Michael Mark. 
Michael is the financial secretary treasurer of the San Joaquin Building Trades, and they have about 10,000 brothers and sisters that are involved. He started his union career about 20 years ago, 2002, with the building trades as a union sheet metal worker for local 162 and 104. Michael Mark, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? Hey, Flash. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Good, good, good. I should uh, mention the website, too. It's sjbuildingtrades.org, sjbuildingtrades.org. Well, Michael, we got a lot to talk about today, and I often start these interviews almost always to try to get a little familiar about Michael Mark and how you specifically decided to uh, get involved in the trades. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of people that are contemplating that right now, and every story is a little bit different. So I'd like to hear your story. Go ahead. Hey, Flash. Yes. So I I was one of those real fortunate individuals. Right out of high school, I got into the trades. You know, right now our average age is over 25 for an apprentice. So I was 18, didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I was attending a high school uh, kind of construction career academy, doing drafting AutoCAD in Stockton, Lincoln High School. And uh, actually a union rep came in and spoke and gave a little bit of the information of all the different trades. Um, and different mechanical engineering and different type of backgrounds. So that's how I kind of started in the trade. I actually took like a, a, a intern kind of office job at a at a sheet metal company here locally, and then I took a summer job, just go out in the field, and then join the apprenticeship. And that's what started my trade throughout the time. So that that's how I got in. I was really fortunate. Did my apprenticeship. Turned out in 2008, started started running work and whatnot, and then got appointed an organizer for my home local. And at that point, I got more involved with the San Joaquin Building Trades as a delegate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, once I became a rep for the uh, sheet metal workers, took an officer position in the San Joaquin Building Trades as president, and then now financial secretary treasurer. So again, you're financial secretary treasurer, and it sounds like uh, you're pretty comfortable in that position. I have to ask you, ten thousand uh, members, how's the how's the work going in that area? Maybe you could be specific on where that is in California. Uh, great question, Flash. That where we are located is about an hour from Sacramento and about an hour and a half from the Bay Area, uh, more more east. Um, back to your question on work picture. The work picture is, is, is really great. Over the next couple of years, there is a lot of work that we actually were able to secure under uh, community workforce and training agreements, and those projects are going to be starting next year and then the following years. Good, good. Can you explain, and, and I've asked this question many, many times for our guests, community workforce and training agreements. That's a pretty uh, broad category there. Can you narrow that for us? Explain what what those community workforce and training agreements, what they do, how they work. What's the story there? How it works is it's providing that opportunity to get in the middle class, and that's why we're calling it a community workforce and training agreement. And the training portion is – the ability to provide new opportunities for apprentices getting in the building and construction trades. 
So a lot of these times, these agreements are um, with public entities, but there's also uh, these types of agreements that we have secured with private developments. Mm -hmm. And you've got a couple of them that you've been able to secure, and uh, I'm reading here that uh, there's one, the city of Stockton. Since it's passed, there's been over 85% of the workforce working on city of Stockton projects living. They're living right in that area, so that's a good thing. They're working there. They're paying the tax money into the community. They're improving the community. That's all a good thing. You uh, you mentioned the apprenticeship program. You said you started when you were 18. Where where are you with your apprenticeship uh, program right now, Michael? For for the sheet metal workers apprenticeship, it's it's doing really well. I I want to say we have over 300 apprentices yearly every year, but. But I want to try to bring it back and focus on some of the good things we're doing in San Joaquin County when I'm wearing the, the building trades hat. As sure. I said, uh, off air, uh, we have to wear a lot of hats. And, and I'm only, uh, my full-time gig is a, a rep for the Sheet Metal Workers Local 104. But I, I have the privilege and to, to honor and be the, the principal officer of the San Joaquin Building Trades. And, and one such program you're mentioning programs is an apprentice readiness program that, that we have started with the MC3 NAB2 core, uh, multi-core craft curriculum. And with one big success of that, and because we were able to secure a lot of these local jobs via community workforce and training agreements, we have a, a success rate of over 85% of a graduate from the city of Stockton, from San Joaquin County, and then getting into a union building trades apprenticeship program. And how long has that been going on? So, so that particular uh, cohorts we've had six so far. So, mm-hmm. with six graduates classes, each with about twenty students, there's countless new apprentices getting into the trades, and that's the various trades: the iron workers, the the IBEW, UA, sheet metal workers, laborers, bricklayers, all the gamut of the building trades. And each one of those individuals, they they pick the 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 trade that they want to be part of, and then they they enter it. I'm checking out this uh, high school career fair that you did recently, and you got over. 950 students attending. <laughs> All I can say is wow on that one. I would imagine you put a little uh, effort into that one. Were you surprised with that kind of turnout, Michael? No, it's and, and so I, like I said, makes many hands make light light work. And that particular career fair, it's been a long-standing partnership with the San Joaquin Building Trades, the San Joaquin Coordinators Association, all the coordinators of the various apprenticeship programs, and also the San Joaquin County Office of Education. And and all high school seniors throughout San Joaquin County attend one day, uh, usually around September, so they're able to get a little glimpse of hands-on activities from each of the trades, and then when they graduate, it gives them a better idea. You sort of plant that seed mm-hmm. of, of what trade they want to join. That's pretty cool. Well, I know you want to talk about Sam, and I hope I pronounce his name correctly here, Karufa. And apparently uh, Sam passed away a couple of years ago, and you started the Sam Karufa 
Memorial Scholarship Fund to benefit the new apprentices getting into the trade. Uh, maybe you could reflect on Sam's legacy here. It sounds like he was a pretty great guy, and he did a lot in the community. Can you uh, can you uh, give us some more on that, Michael? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate you bringing that up, Flash. Sam was a great individual. Uh, he was a, a full time rep for the IBEW five nine five, and while while being a full time rep for the IBEW, he also wore the hat of financial secretary treasurer. And during that time period, um, I was the president of the council, um, and we worked together to get a lot of things passed for the working people of San Joaquin County. Um, Sam was just an amazing individual and a a huge loss for for labor in this area. Uh, Unfortunately, he did pass away in, in 2020, and at that time, um, I stepped into his role as FST. But we're, we're continuing on the legacy of the work that, that he started. And right now we have a, a, a great team. And as, as he's looking down on us, I, I hope we're just doing the best work that we can do for the members of the building trades. And, and how's the scholarship fund doing? Uh, is, it, is it gaining some strength here right now? Well, Well, this is the first year the very first year that we're starting this scholarship fund. Um, so um, we, we recently formed a, a, a LMCT, so that way we can, you know, the Department of Labor, uh, make sure we're, we're, we're on the up and up. And at that point, uh, this is the very first year, and we're having a holiday luncheon uh, later on in, on December 7th. Okay. All right. Well, you keep us posted on that because I know there's a lot of people Great labor leaders out there that have since passed, and, and it's great that you're doing something in his memory to keep that memory alive and to bring new people in. I mean, that's what you need to, to, because to, there's a lot of work out there. We we know that. I, I'm reading too that you know the area of California. I think when a lot of people think of California, oh, it's the left coast. <laughs> it's it's. Oh, yeah. I know it's. I know it's a blue state. Let's be honest here, but. Being the size that it is, it's not all blue. I've heard there's some purple areas. There's certainly some red areas. So that being said, it's important that you make friends on all sides. And how's that going for you, Michael? For for us, we San Joaquin County, and we also represent Calaveras County, we are definitely a more of a, a purple county in, in the, the scheme of California. Um, as I said, an hour and a half from the Bay Area, or about seven hours from L.A. So there is a, a big chasm difference from the more the metro blue area of California to where we're at. So when you said working on both sides of the aisle, yes, that's correct. When we mentioned some of the success stories that we've had, you know, getting uh, uh, local people to work on these community workforce and training agreements, we've actually had just as many Republicans voting on these agreements than Democrats. These are all nonpartisan races, but in the end, it's about putting local people to work. I think the, our, at least our local leaders, before they get to the national level, they all agree to that. Let's get our local people to work. Let's create those opportunities for apprentices. Let's create opportunities to make sure that the people living in the area are actually helping the small businesses, and and they get that. Yeah. 
Do you find that there's a lot of lawmakers? It's hard to believe. When you become a lawmaker, you should know what's pretty much going on in your community. But there's a lot of them that are not aware of what the trades do with their apprenticeship programs. I mean, they come close to being a college course, a college-level course. Do you do you find that to be the case in, in the San Joaquin Valley? I will say 10 years ago, yes. But lately, you know, when I said with Sam's leadership starting off, we actually had uh, the former president, Sal Rotolo, and Louis Montabo. These individuals and, and Matt Richard, they all started the narrative. And when, when we... Our very first agreement was done in 2016, and since then, we've, we've just built upon the success, and part of that kind of is a snowball effect where one city says, oh, I, you have this agreement. It's really working really well. Why don't we have it? And that right. snowball effect really does matter, and in the end, all elected officials are, I hope, are in the best interest of their constituents. And uh, having these type of agreements in place really does help their constituents and be a actual part of community. There you go. If it's helping the workers, it's helping the community. Let's uh, let's keep going with it. Very good. Michael Mark joining us on our live line today. He is the uh, financial secretary treasurer of the San Joaquin Building Trades. Give you the uh, website again. It's sjbuildingtrades.org. And also they have a Facebook presence. It's San Joaquin Building Trades. Michael, we're going to button it up here. Any closing uh, closing remarks for our audience before we go? I think one thing is when we think of community, the building trades, with our 10,000 members, we are the community. You know, we've, we volunteer. We, we help the community out. This is another way, uh, earn-as-you-learn apprenticeship. It's, it's not necessarily the worst thing ever. College isn't for everybody, but this particular viable career in the apprenticeship programs is, is the best. And when, when you have your neighbors down the street working on projects and proud of the projects that they're working locally, it really does matter. Very well said, my man. You take care. Stay in touch with us, okay, especially about that uh, scholarship fund. We'd love to help you out here, okay? All right. Appreciate it. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Seattle Building and Construction Trades Council and the latest from the United Steelworkers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful holiday. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.